This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss preventive screening for prostate cancer. With me to discuss the topic is Guido Adelfio, a survivor of stage 4 prostate cancer. Welcome, Guido. Thank you for your time. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for coming. On background, prostate cancer is the second most prevalent cancer among men, particularly men over age 50 and among African-American men. For men 60 years and above, nearly 7 out of 100 men will be diagnosed within 10 years. Nearly 200,000 men are diagnosed annually, and prostate cancer kills close to 30,000 men annually. Despite these facts, prostate cancer is vastly un- and underscreened, particularly among the un- and underinsured, who can have higher risk factors for the disease. In a retrospective study published in 2013, over 1,400 men diagnosed over a nine-year period 97% of those diagnosed had no previous screening, so nearly 100% of the 14,000 men diagnosed during the nine-year period were not previously screened, and nearly a quarter of those of the 1,400 who were diagnosed, they presented with locally advanced disease, and nearly half of the 1,400 presented with bone metastasis. With me again to discuss the importance of prostate screening is Guido Adelfio. Mr. Adelfio's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. So with that as background or introduction, let's start by my just asking you simply, how were you initially screened? Well, I was someone who had um, a high PSA. It trended high. And I'd always heard the test was controversial, and there was a government task force that said not to do it on a routine matter, etc. So I kind of ignored it. Well, then I had noticed some change in my urinary pattern. And I was having dinner with a friend who happens to be African-American. He's in his mid-50s. He had had prostate cancer in his early 40s, which is often an early onset in the African-American population. I'm, I'm Caucasian. And he started asking me, what's your PSA score? Well, I didn't know. I had been told it trended high, but I hadn't focused on it. And that was a critical mistake on my part. Because Other than that, your score, did you have any symptoms? Yes, I had a change in my urinary okay. pattern. Okay. Uh, it was sort of noticeable, and I had been told, I had had cancer before, I had testicular cancer, and I had been told if something changes on your body, get it looked at. Well, this conversation was what it took to prompt me to get it looked at, and boy, did I get a surprise. So you had a further exam, and what were those? Uh, what were the findings of that exam? Well, I had a digital exam, and the doctor's like, "Ooh, hard prostate." Well, I didn't know what that meant. And then I had a PSA test, which, um, just for your listeners, a PSA normal range for a man in his fifties can be from say 0.75 to three and a half. Starts getting close to four, you have to be very, very careful. Over four, be doubly careful. Mine was 27.71, so I got the surprise of my life. And the diagnosis specifically was what? Well, immediately they didn't diagnose, although the doctor, you know, normally they come out to the waiting room and the spouses are there because after the biopsy and whatever, 
Um, he asked my wife to come into his office just to give you an idea. And uh, he said this is a very, very serious disease. We're waiting for the biopsy results. That takes about two weeks, he said, but don't fool yourselves. This is bad cancer. And what was then next when the biopsy came back and confirmed? Well, next was we were going on vacation with the family to Italy. So my wife and I agreed not to tell anyone else. But I spent the whole time voraciously reading Prostate Cancer for Dummies and all the other good books that give you background. Then when we came back from vacation, uh, we went to the doctor and I had uh, stage four. Um, I'm a business guy, so when they tell me you have positive margins, I'm like, yeah, that's good, but only in cancer it's not good to have positive margins. That means the cancer is on the march. It's spreading. In addition to that, uh, I was diagnosed with a Gleason 8, which is a very, very aggressive disease. Gleason is a measure between 2 and 10, 10. that tells you how aggressive the disease is. Okay, what was the treatment then recommended, if any? Well, uh, I immediately got to work and I got a second opinion. And a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and seven doctors told me my time was up to pack my bags. Well, I was 56 years old. I said, this is not in my 25-year plan. <laughs> they said, sorry, nothing we can do. Well, then I um, got to work. I called a high school friend who worked for MD Anderson. He's actually a vet, but he's involved in, in medical research. So, well, he said that uh, he put me in touch with a researcher at MD Anderson who sent me a list of clinical trials all over the country. I was ready to go, you know, Houston, Sloan Kettering, Duke, Cleveland Clinic, uh, Hopkins is right up the road, UMBC, San Francisco. I was looking at all of those because... You know, I, I wanted to um, contradict the predictions. And what did I find right up the road, just two miles from my office at National Institutes of Health, NIH had a clinical trial that had just started about two months before for exactly the symptoms and the stage of disease that I had. And explain the treatment protocol if you could. And Well, first I had to get accepted. So they had to do a bunch of tests. Then there was a thing called, I think it's an HLA match, that you have the right type of immune system, right type of tissue. And then uh, they kept going, and they had to be able to, you mentioned before, bone metastasis. They had to be able to specifically document that there was no bone metastasis. Because if there was, you see, just backing up for a moment, my understand I'm not a scientist, I'm just a guy, but I learned a lot along the way. There are two corners you turn. Once you develop cancer, the first corner is that it becomes extracapsular. Positive margins means it's on the edge of the organ. Extracapsular means it's escaped the organ. And now it's gonna it's party time. It's gonna go all over your body. The second corner you turn is when it lodges in your bone. And that's the one that's really fatal. When, when, once it's, they can demonstrate that you have a tumor in the bone. So before they would accept me for the clinical trial, they had to actually physically, you can't prove a negative, but as with as much certainty as they could to prove that I did not have bone metastasis. And thank God I did not. So then they accepted me in the, cl in the clinical trial then they did um, a random selection, so half the people accepted. This is not a double blind that you have a placebo. That's not ethical with fatal disease. But they gave me a, um, 
we rolled the dice and I got in the part, the, the half of the uh, subjects that got treatment, vaccine treatment. The others got what's called standard of care, which is just the normal, you know, radiation, hormone treatment. Essentially, there are four ways they treat prostate cancer. Active surveillance, uh, radiation, prostatectomy, which it was too late for that. That's what Howard had, the prostatectomy and hormone treatment. So that's standard of care. On top of that, I got a vaccine treatment that is designed to uh, energize your immune system to fight the specific disease. It's sort of a custom medicine, if you will. It's very experimental. It's very, very, very expensive. It's not ready yet for the mass market, but I think it saved my life. So how long were you in the, the, the NIH trial? The, the NIH protocol? trial, the actual trial was two years. The treatment was about uh, six months, during which time I had two months of radiation. I had 39 radiation sessions that overlapped with six months of the vaccine, which happened in nine, uh, nine sets of shots. And out of curiosity, what's the status of the vaccine, to your knowledge? Has it been improved? No, I don't know. It's still in, uh, this was a phase two, I believe, trial. So then there would be a phase three, three and, and then phase. presumably right. beyond that they would approve it. Okay. This okay. is, uh, 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 and again, I'm not a scientist, but your immune system is essential to fighting cancer because everyone here, everyone in this room, everyone listening has cancer cells in their body. What is it that allows them to establish themselves. Well, somehow your immune system isn't fighting them properly. So there's a subset of your white blood cells called T cells. And the T cells, this came out of AIDS research, by the way. The T cells have a protein on them that blinds the cells. So effectively, they don't see the cancer cells. So the concept of the vaccine is they give you one shot of chemotherapy that weakens the cancer makes it more visible to the cells. Then they withdraw the cells, they remove the um, blindfold, the protein on the cell membrane, and they set them back into your body and they set them loose, they unleash them on the cancer cells. So hopefully once that protein is removed, the T cells can now identify the uh, cancer cells and go in a seek and destroy mission. That's in a nutshell what, what they do. How long has it been since you received the initial treatment? Uh, two and a half years. Okay, so you're a two and a half year survivor, and there's ongoing treatment for your cancer, correct? Yes, well, as I said, there are four types of treatment. Active surveillance, which, by the way, they're doing that too. Uh, prostatectomy was too late. Um, there is... Um, uh, Chemo. No, actually radiation therapy, Chemo. either external or internal. Okay. The, the brachytherapy with the seeds or external beam. There's also proton beam, but there's, people are split whether that really helps you better than, than external beam okay. radiation. And hormone therapy. Hormone therapy is androgen deprivation. They give you a shot that essentially takes the testosterone out of the equation because testosterone is the fuel for prostate cell growth. So I've been on that for two and a half years. It has a lot of side effects. And you'll remain on the hormone treatment? Quite probably for the rest of my life. Okay, okay. Now since your diagnosis and treatment are subsequent to it, you've been speaking publicly on this subject. That's true. Can you tell me about that? 
Well, yeah, what, uh, I'm, I'm part of the Rotary community, and we have a program speaker each week. And I said, I've been so lucky. I've been blessed because, again, seven doctors told me, pack your bags. Well, I'm still here. And so I wanted to create, this, this is my way of giving back. I wanted to create uh, a talk that's a little bit entertaining, that's informative, and that gives especially men the message that early detection is key of any cancer. If you have an early detection, you have opened up a lot more treatment options. As your tumor progresses, your treatment options diminish. And so the earlier you get into it, the more treatment options you have. And that's, that's a very important message. Women are good at that. They've been talking to each other for 60 years about feeling for lumps, and they talk about it and explain it, and everybody knows about everyone else. Men are different. If you say, oh, I'm here to talk about prostate cancer, most of them say, oh, we don't want to hear about that. And then um, if you talk about something physical, they want to tell you about their new set of golf clubs, their ski trip coming up, what's happening with their favorite sports team. And men really don't want to address it. So I designed the talk trying to hopefully make a few men more aware of their own health and how to self-advocate. So that was my question. What's been the response? Well, it's been very good. Now, some men just roll their eyes and they leave the room and they say, I'm not doing that. A lot of men, you see them going out and they've got their daytime or their, their Google Calendar in hand and they're looking for a time to make a doctor's appointment. A number of men come up to me after the talk and tell me that they admire what I'm doing because of the, the important message. And most of them have had cancer of some type, usually prostate, and including Howie. Okay. And health decisions in a family are made by women. I mean, that's what's generally well known. Why do you think particularly this subject is so under-discussed and screening is so um, underutilized? Well, you're dealing with men here, and everyone says, you know, men are simple, women are complicated. That might be true. Men are very simple. We all, from me all the way up to the top, think that we are indestructible. We think that the rules of nature don't apply to us, and nothing's ever going to catch up and overtake us. Well, mm -hmm. I guess we've been raised that way. It's a cultural phenomenon, but it's not true. And I'm living proof. I thought I was indestructible. I thought I did not need an annual physical. Big mistake. Okay. We're here also with Howard Topel, who's also a survivor of prostate cancer. We do have time, so let me ask you a question about your experience. Did you have symptoms before you were screened, or were you smart enough, in this case, to proactively choose to be screened? What was your experience? I uh, have uh, a corollary to Guido's experience because I had no symptoms at all whatsoever. I felt healthy as a horse, uh, but I had been told by a physician uh, to make sure I got an annual physical. And so it was during my annual physical, uh, it was before the controversy over PSAs at the time this happened to me, which was 2003, PSAs were standard treatment uh, for an annual physical and uh, my doctor gave me a PSA test and uh, it came in just slightly over four. It wasn't a dramatic thing uh, like, like uh, Guido's was at 28, but my doctor was cautious and he sent me to a urologist 
uh, and they do a second test called a free PSA, which is a little more sensitive. And uh, from that test, I was in the gray area, but I was closer to the guidelines where you have cancer rather than the score that you're completely certain that you're safe. So we did a biopsy, and I had a more aggressive cancer than Guido. I had a Gleason 9 out of 10, so I was in all the high-risk uh, categories. And uh, so I think the, the corollary that, that I would add is don't wait until you have a symptom. Because the other thing is Guido was 56, I think he said, and he had uh, Gleason 8 very aggressive. I was 55 and I had Gleason 9. Uh, the earlier you come down with prostate cancer, the more likely you are to have an aggressive cancer that can turn fatal on you. One of the reasons for that is a younger man produces more testosterone than a man who, who ages as you, as you age. And testosterone is the fuel, testosterone and animal fats, um, beef and dairy products and things like that, uh, uh, tend to cause prostate cancer to, to grow. So, uh, uh, and I was, uh, uh, I'm here because I saw Guido's lecture. And uh, having had the cancer, uh, I also had some knowledge. I had done a lot of research. I'm not as knowledgeable as Guido became, but I could really relate to what he was saying. And I so admire what he's doing uh, to have taken the time to put together a presentation. And, and he is out there and will save some lives. There are some people who will hear his presentation and do the smart thing. Uh, the smart thing is get an annual physical every year, get a PSA and a digital rectal exam every year. Um, because uh, if you have a positive, uh, there are treatments if you catch it early enough. If you catch it too late, uh, uh, not everybody's going to be as lucky as Guido has been uh, to find a trial two miles from his house that, uh, that can save his life. And mm -hmm. this is a terminal disease. I mean, people say, well, prostate cancer, nobody dies from that. 30,000 people a year die from it. Uh, so, uh, and it's not a, it's a very uh, painful death. It's, uh, so, uh, you know, be smart, get a, get a PSA every year, um, and uh, if you have something suspicious, get a biopsy, find out whether you have something, and then you can make the decision, well, is it serious enough uh, to get a, a treatment, uh, hormones, radiation, or surgery, or is it something that we can watch and perhaps it won't, develop and, and become something that's life-threatening. And just so your treatment was? Uh, I've actually had two treatments. Uh, I, had, I had a radical prostatectomy um, and after the prostatectomy I had negative margins which meant that they thought they got all the cancer. But about 35 percent of men who have radical prostatectomy uh, have, they call them recurrences because the cancer reappears in your PSA. Um, and uh, after my surgery with my negative margins, they told me to get my PSA checked every three months for two years, and then I would go on to six months, and then I would go on to 12 months. Well, the 24th month, the very last one of the two years, they checked me, and I had a visible detectable PSA, and so they said, well, you still have some cancer cells in your body. That's, that, that's why it's not really a recurrence. It's just they're too small to see or, or detect. But then when they produce a PSA, they can be detected. But So I had a recurrence, and so then I had radiation treatment uh, at Johns Hopkins 
hospital. Uh, Dr. Theodore DeWeese was the head of the radiation oncology department, and uh, um, they gave me, actually they had hormone therapy uh, to weaken the cancer, to starve it so it would be more susceptible to the radiation, and then I had 39 days of radiation, was the external beam radiation, and uh, since then uh, I've been undetectable and having any PSA, and uh, so that's uh, eight, how long eight years ago. Eight years ago. Eight years ago. So I'm, you know, but I, I, I still get myself checked every six months uh, because with the aggressive cancer, I don't want to wait a year to know whether anything has come back. And so, so far, I've been undetectable. And uh, uh, but I, you know, just sing Guido's praises. I feel my life was enriched by meeting this man. He, he just put together a presentation, and uh, you know, I hope he, people. Uh, follow up on it and get their exams and their PSAs. Uh, you know, they say, well, don't get it. Maybe you'll get a false uh, positive. False positive. And my, my response is, well, what if you get a true positive? <laughs> uh, that's, you, you want to know. You want the information. Then you can decide how to get treated. Mm -hmm. But uh, don't, don't go uh, forward in, in ignorance and wind up being too sick to be treated. So thank you. Thank you both. We're at our Time battery. Maybe I'll leave the last word for you, Guido. Well, thank you. No, I just want to re reinforce the takeaway message. We are not indestructible. We're human beings. We're men. Early detection is key. It opens up so many more treatment options. So listen to your wives, listen to your daughters, listen to your mothers, listen to your significant others, and do get checked from age 45 on regularly, PSA and DRE, and hopefully You'll live a long, long, happy life. So with that, I'll say long life to both of you, and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.